Hello, and welcome to Before the Sermon or After. I am Pastor Matt, and this is the official podcast of Grace and Hope Lutheran Church. I know it has been a while since I have done the last podcast. I had originally intended to do sort of a podcast project, but that project has kind of grown beyond, I think, what is realistic, and so I need to kind of work on cutting that back down. I still hope to bring it to you someday in the near future. But to kind of get the podcast kicked off again, today I wanted to look at the first reading for this Sunday, July 11th. The first reading is from Amos chapter 7, and is verses 7 through 15. One of the things that makes a text fun for me is when there is a certain amount of ambiguity in the text itself. And this reading from Amos is one example of of this kind of ambiguity. I suspect that many of us come to the Bible with questions and look to the Bible to provide answers. But I suspect not many of us come to the Bible with questions about what the text is actually saying. We have an English translation, and we can sometimes think of that as being sort of the definitive text, and we forget that the Bible was written in a foreign language, at least a foreign language from an English perspective. Most of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, biblical Hebrew, or ancient Hebrew. There are a few sections that actually were written in Aramaic, and the New Testament was written in Greek, Koinonia Greek, the common Greek of the ancient Mediterranean world. And translating these two languages into English is not always easy. And that is where things really begin to get fun, and oftentimes interesting. In this reading from Amos, Amos is one example. We have several examples of this kind of fun. The opening of the reading, the very first verse, in this case is verse 7, and I'm going to read actually from the Jewish Publication Society uh, Tanakh translation of the Old Testament, as this is the only one that put the uh, the footnotes that I'm looking for, even though when you, even though the Hebrew text has this in here. Verse 7 says, This is what he showed me. He was standing on a wall, checked with a plumb line, and he was holding a plumb line, and the Lord asked me, What do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. And the Lord declared, I'm going to apply a plumb line to my people Israel. I will pardon them no more. That was verse 7 and 8 from the 7th chapter of Amos. And in English, it sounds perfectly fine. We might not quite understand or fully grasp the whole metaphor and imagery that would see in the plumb line, but I think by and large, we get it. We understand that a plumb line would have been used to sort of judge the straightness, or the rightness, if you will, of a wall. And we take that metaphor from sort of the construction world and now apply it to the people themselves. And so it would seem as though that this is a very kind of straightforward text. But that is in English. Because the English translators have done us the favor of kind of removing the ambiguity of the text for us. 
because the text doesn't actually say plumb line. The text has one word, a knock. There is some question as to exactly what this word means, but it is a reference to some kind of metal. That's it. Nothing about a plumb line, nothing about an instrument being used for construction, just the simple word, a knock. The two most common sort of glosses for this word is lead. And more recently, it has been argued that it really should be a reference to 10. Lead has been the traditional reading of this particular word. And it is from that, then, that we move from it is from an under, it is from that understanding of the word as meaning lead that we get this idea of plumb line, inferring that a plumb line would be made out of lead. This is an idea that came comes out of the Middle Ages. It was suggested, I think, by some rabbis in about the year one thousand that this is what Amos was referring to here when he just uses the word lead. But there is sort of that question. Is this, in fact, what Amos is talking about? Or are we talking about something else? More recently, it has been suggested that the word anak should really be translated as ten. That it is an Akkadian loanword. And Akkadian was a Semitic language that was commonly spoken in sort of the ancient Mesopotamia. It was as common as sort of the Koinonia Greek. It was the language of, of diplomacy and of businesses and trade. And in Akkadian, the word anak nu, an anaku, is 10, which does not really make anything any clearer. Nobody would build a wall out of 10. Tin, like lead, is a relatively soft metal. However, tin is used as an alloy with copper to form bronze. And we are talking kind of about the Bronze Age. And so perhaps what is actually being said here in, with the use of the word tin as opposed to lead is that this is a reference to a weapon. And that would make things a little more clear, perhaps. So rather than saying, this is what he showed me, it would be God was standing on a wall with, with ten, or a weapon. And he, was holding, and he was holding the weapon. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A weapon. I replied, or ten, I replied, and the Lord declared, I am going to apply sort of a weapon to my people Israel, I will pardon them no more. Where, in fact, Amos is going to kind of be, is going to be sort of that weapon in that use of the metaphor. And where this also then comes in a little bit later, is in verse 14, sort of connecting the two, we have the word anoki, which is actually the word for I, not related, but 
they do sound somewhat similar. So people hearing this being read aloud would perhaps think back now to this vision that Amos has of him being the instrument by which God is going to bring sort of this word to the people. And we see a similar kind of imagery and understanding in Jeremiah, where Jeremiah twice, both in chapter 1, verse 18, chapter 15, verse 20, refers to kind of the wall of bronze. So now you may be asking, well, why should we take your word, Pastor Matt, over, say, the word of the English translators who arguably have more experience and more knowledge of the language than you do? And you'd be absolutely right. The people who translate from Hebrew to English, whether it be the NRSV, Common English Bible, or the Jewish Publication Society, are individuals who have spent a good chunk of their careers reading and translating sort of the Hebrew the Hebrew Bible into English. And so they do have a lot more experience than I do. The one advantage I would have over some of the translators of the Bible is being a little bit more up-to-date. The NRSV, for example, was done kind of in the mid-80s, so I mean it is almost 40 years old. And when put into perspective, we have only really known about the ancient Near East outside of ancient Israel for maybe 150, 160 years for the first discoveries of Mesopotamia. Or the Akkadian language is also a relatively new discovery. Computers have made searching those languages and codifying those languages a lot easier. And so we have been able to find resource and reference multiple documents where in the past that was all painstakingly done by hand. And those medieval rabbis who suggested Plumline would have had no knowledge of the Akkadian language at all. They knew that there were other ancient civilizations that were mentioned in the Bible, but anything outside of the Bible was still unknown. So which translation is right? This is where the fun, I think, really comes. An argument could be made for either understanding. Translating and understanding it as 10 in the present seems to make more sense, and there seems to be a consensus forming around translating Anach as 10. However, tomorrow we could find some more documentation in some ancient cave in the Middle East, or perhaps we already have some of those documents, and they're finally brought online and so are, are accessible to a whole host of other scholars that could change our opinion of what Anak and how to translate the word Anak and what perhaps Amos is trying to get across tomorrow. That is what I find fun about the Bible and reading the Bible. While as a Christian, I do accept it as the inspired word of God, it is also true that that inspired word is still somewhat debated. It is not as certain as we oftentimes think or try to believe. There was a bumper sticker I once saw when I was on internship in Tennessee that said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. The problem with that particular bumper sticker is what was it that God actually said? And in some cases, the best we can do is sort of take a guess. It's not a complete wild guess, but it is still a guess. I guess that might 
still be changed pending further sort of revelation from other ancient sources. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Before the Sermon or After. Until next time, have a good day and a good rest of the week. Thanks for listening.